Welcome to Hot Plate, the conversations you should be having about your food and drink. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on The Hot Plate, what happens when a chef can't smell what they're cooking? And is it ever too early for a drink? We're also going to dive into Curious Kitchen, where we taste strange things and sink our teeth into some squigglies. But first, some introductions. I'm Mirella Amato, and I'm a sensory consultant. My work is focused on uh, breaking down flavors and aromas uh, in beer and explaining them to people. I'm an international beer judge and a master Cicerone, which is the beer equivalent to a master sommelier. And I've written an award-winning book called Beerology for people who want to find out a little bit more about beer and learn to appreciate it. I'm Joshna Maharaj. I'm a chef, activist, and speaker. Um, I do work in community food security, really figuring out what grassroots connections are for communities uh, and the barriers that exist. Uh, For the last seven years, I've been working to rebuild food systems in public institutions around Toronto, uh, really finding new roles and new spaces for chefs to support communities and make healthier, more nourishing connections. So I'm here today with Joshna Maharaj. Hello. Hello. And uh, Joshna, would you describe yourself as a chef or an activist? I take both. Okay. Uh, and the thing that I have chased actually is the shle- the chef slash activist title. Okay. Right? Really to carve out that bit of space. So right now, chef, activist, and author is the way uh, I'm talking about myself. On the way author, to be honest. When's the book coming out, do you think? The book is coming out this time next year. I have 19 days till I have to submit my manuscript to my editor. And that's just the beginning. That's it. So what is the focus of your activism then? So this, my activism is uh, many fold, let's say, but the root is uh, about uh, equitable access to good food for everybody. Understanding that access to really quality food is a basic human right Mm -hmm. and that there are a lot of really sort of uh, idiotic things standing in the way of everybody in this country, in this city, on this planet, eating really good food. Um, good food. Yes. Being proper s- food that nourishes a body properly, element. right? It's yes. just the state of affairs of our food system is sort of really in a almost critical crisis. And so it's uh, I have I have decided to use whatever position I have as a chef to scream and yell for uh, a more equitable, just, sustainable food system. Nice. And you have won awards for this, correct? Uh, there's a couple, yes. Uh, it's nice. Uh, um, sweet recognition uh, for the fact that I'm trying to do this thing that has, there's not so much, uh, not so many footsteps to follow, let's say, in this world. And so that, it's super nice when people uh, appreciate it. And what was your training? Training as a chef. Formal. Yeah, formal chef training, chef training uh, French tradition, all of that sort of sometimes nonsense. Um, and then I sort of went off and did my own thing. Never going down the restaurant road, community food centers and community food security has really been my love and where uh, I, I have grown myself as a chef. It's interesting how as you go through your career, you slowly find your uh, your place. Totally. Right? Uh, when was it that totally. this clicked for you? Uh, this clicked um, probably when I was like 31, 32. Mm-hmm. So it's just over 10 years ago. Um, when I was like, oh, no, this is the thing that I'm going to do. I went to... And how long had you been chefing by then? Uh, I, about three years. I is went that to, a verb? Yeah, I'll take it. All right. <laughs> um, I went to Terra Madre. Okay. Which is Slow Foods biannual global conference. Mm-hmm. And heard the state of affairs of the food. And I was like, came home and I was like, oh, clearly this is this is my work. Yeah. For my life. Got it. 
Nice. Done. Thank you, Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> so that would have been about 10 years ago. Yeah, 2010. That was the last time I was there. So we're not far. Yeah. Wow. So that's just about when I started my journey right. in beer, 2007. And so I went into sort of the more sommelier route as a master Cicerone and then an international beer judge. Um, but my focus right. was always on flavors and aromas right, and right. Uh, explaining them to the public, which is what mm-hmm. led to my book. Um, and now I'm just really just getting super geeky on the sensory side and kind of awesome, how to break right? down those flavors and explain them and really help breweries um, make quality and consistent products. So that's I my love passion. That. Which I've also discovered, uh, you know, through the journey. Mm -hmm. So, Josh and I, you were going to bring a very interesting topic today about the sense of smell. Confessional, right? Tell me. Uh, So, I have recently had sinus surgery uh, that also involved a bit of a surprise septoplasty. Once they went in there and discovered my septum taking a right hand turn. Um, but I had been suffering with congestion for the last six or seven years. Um, and for the last like four years, I have not been able to smell. At all? Not a thing. <gasps> right? How does that work as a chef? Well, there it is. Right? I, I, my instinctual response to this was to keep it a secret. Of because course. Because I was like, nobody trusts a chef who can't smell. Mm-hmm. Right? And I have to start doing things like relying heavily on timers, even just for like a toast and for, you know, those kinds of things. You, because could you I not cannot, tell if it was burning? I could not. Nothing. Whoa. Nothing. Even, even, I really, it really, the, the, the depth of this hit me mm-hmm. when I had an, org, uh, when I had nasty notes from my uh, apartment management uh, about the fact that my organic spin was not being taken out frequently enough. Oh dear! Right, and that, wow. And when I went to to open the thing, and like I, did, I wasn't really remembering what was in there. And when I put my face in what I otherwise knew, if I could smell, I would have been assaulted with this horrible odor. But I just I felt it. I felt the burn of it, but I couldn't smell a thing. Wow, that's intense. Right, that's called uh, anosmia. Exactly. I think. Yeah, I think. And that's it. I'm familiar with it because about ten years ago, I was running a beer judge training program. Okay. Uh, to train a bunch of people to learn how to be beer judges. Right on. And one of the candidates approached me and she said, uh, I'm a nosmic. Right. Is this going to be an issue? Right. And, and what was your answer? Fascinating. Well, because when it comes to sensory evaluation, I often encounter people who aren't ta- drinking. They aren't tasting because, you know, they're pregnant or there's a okay. driving issue. Okay. And I always say, that's no problem because you do 90% of it with your nose. Mm. You can get most of it by the sense of oh, smell. The taste is just a small confirmation. Right, right. Um, but in this case, I just thought it was an interesting challenge. And I said to her, look, why don't you participate to the best of your ability right. and take the test and we'll see what happens. I mean, I am in no position to say you're, you you can't do it. Yep. And I'm certainly in no position to evaluate whether it is possible or not, because, you know, the yeah. body is amazing. The, the You know, you found some interesting tricks with timers and so on. But, you know, the body is adaptable. If you read scientific papers about oh, people who've 100%. lost certain senses and they heighten others. So she had been anosmic yeah. from birth. Right. And I assumed that she would be okay. And guess what? She passed the test. Yeah. I I actually have the experience of the rest of my senses really kicking in. Really? Right? Because I'm not, I have zero report of overseasoned food. Right. Right? Nobody is like, whoa, that was way too much. Right? My mm-hmm. my intuition as a cook and my otherwise notion of what this is all of, you know, of how to put a good flavor together 
all kicked in. Interesting. Uh, and it's I've been de- thankfully delighted, right? Because mm-hmm. that could have been mm-hmm. an easy shot to the bottom there for me. Did you ever feel like you were cheating people or being dishonest in, in hiding this critical piece? Yes. I mean, that's a, yes. a big Frequently. part of food and cooking Frequently. is the sense Frequently. of smell. And it was like it was crushing inside because it's this is I love this work. This is my life's work, clearly. Yeah. And to be able to not participate. Yeah. In this way, yet still have an image, uh, professionalism, ethics, whatever it is to maintain outwardly, just because I was like, this this is not the final answer. Right. Right. I'm not. This is a temporary scenario with what's happening. And so I don't need to come out of the closet about this. And now you're fixed. Wow. Here it is. Uh, but yeah, there definitely, uh, definitely felt like I was lying. And this is a permanent fix? This So far, for what we say, there's a new life here. Amazing. Right? To... Big, smooth, easy breaths that I'm taking. Yes. All the traffic issues have been sorted out. Well, I think it's great you're talking about it. Thanks. Maybe a little piece of activism to add to A little to your... bit. A little <laughs> bit. A little bit. But really, it's only because I know that I'm better that right. I'm happy to talk about it. If it was still, if there was still a question mark, I think I would be still silent. I understand. So that must have been a really isolating experience for you, holding this secret it, You in. know, it really was. It feels dramatic to say that. But it really I don't was. I think it's dramatic. Uh, it really was. It felt like I had this mega dirty secret mm-hmm. uh, and, and that I desperately could not be found out. Right. And when yeah. I was thinking about this conversation, I did a little bit of research just to see if somebody else, another chef has gone through this. Right. Because famously, there's a story of Grant Ackett's from Alinea in Chicago. Where okay. She got tongue cancer, mouth cancer. Oh, my goodness. And he couldn't taste for the longest time. Thankfully, it has returned uh, and he has restored himself to mega levels of excellence. Okay. But for a while, he was a chef who couldn't taste. That's uh, also right? tricky. And I am sure we will see a dip in patronage, <laughs> right? At the round, all of that is like on pause because he can't taste. And then I found a dip or the opposite. I mean, who knows, I would rush right? in out of curiosity, <laughs> you know, but I guess that's, uh, yeah. you know. Um, and then I found this piece of this young chef who had lost his smell for 10 years. Oh. Um, and kept it a secret and worked to keep it a secret. For all of that time, because he knew that it would not fly and that he would be mistrusted and that right. we could potentially not get hired as a result. Right. Right. And I was I was so grateful for another story of somebody who felt who instinctively felt really desperate to keep this secret. Did you reach out to him for tips? <laughs> I didn't yet. That's a good idea. That's a really <laughs> good idea. Be like, how did you pull it off? And it seems like his stakes were a little bit higher because he was working on a line in a restaurant all the time. Wow. Which is not my thing, right? I, if I'm cooking, it's more for a one-off thing for an event uh, where I have other people around, so I have some buffers. Right. But I would think a line would be more of a challenge because, uh, I mean, less of a challenge because you have to do the same thing every day. So it's very methodical. It Wouldn't is, it be well, easier to sort of hide in that way than for someone like you who just well, has to create something new every time? What we what we learned from this piece was that it really... He, it all came to blows for him because in the regular run of maintaining the fridge and getting prep done and everything, there were some there was some beef um, and there was <gasps> suspicion that the beef had turned. I know where this is right? going. And the only way to really see is to stick your face in, you know what I mean, yep. to get the ammonia intensity of that, you know, turned flesh. My partner makes fun of me because right. I smell all my food, right. every food. I always smell it, and That's I don't even know. notice I do it, but right. it's just a quick way. It's a quick way to check. Um, so he couldn't he, do that. He couldn't do it, and he was like the only one around. 
Oh, right? Dear. No dishwasher, no anybody to be like, to bounce this off of. So now we're talking serious food poisoning. Well, this, this, the stakes are if high, he, yeah. right? Exactly. Um, and so he actually had to confess. He realized how high the stakes were, and that's when it all came tumbling down. Did he lose because his job? He didn't. Okay. He didn't, uh, right? And and I think it's opened up a really interesting discussion about the question about whether or not, because I started thinking about other senses, right? Right. And I like, honestly, I think part of the reason this works this way is because I can hide it. Yes. I can't hide being blind. Right. Right. I, other things are not as easy to conceal, but it is relatively easy to conceal the fact that you cannot smell. We don't talk about it a lot. It's not one of all. our least experience, uh, least uh it's one of the senses that we've explored the least. Right, right. And so you can pass, yeah. right? And nobody really has any questions. But I am curious. I'm curious to know what you think, what other people think about the about whether or not I we were just getting too dramatic unnecessarily or whether this really, the, a dramatic no, a notion that if you, have a, if you have a chef who cannot smell, you should not trust them. Interesting. But now you have a superpower, right? Because you've regained your sense of smell, well, but your I, other senses are still heightened. I don't, I, well, what I'm not sure of is do they still stay at attention like that or do they know that their sixth, their fifth pal is back? I don't know. I and feel like you've down, developed you know these I mean? skills. Well, uh, only well, time will about, tell. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. Um, but it is, it is only now that I know that my smell is coming back mm-hmm. that I am coming out and confessing. But could you... You could still sense some things in terms of your the smell, or like Not nothing at all. Not a that thing. Is I would fascinating. go to uh, wineries, and I would you know all of this, and they would bring out this bottle, and you know, and when the chefs around and everybody does this, and they literally people will put things in front of me, and I will lie. Oh my goodness! Right, and they're huge. Like you should be able to smell a big, hearty red wine. Yes, that's a thing to yeah. smell. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like a like a giant gutsy Tuscan red kind of oh, thing, you know. It was I was yeah. in an Italian With family's the, house, and it's like that the jammy gloriousness, the right? Oh. You could that on the nose hits you so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Then somebody else was like, "Oh, I think this is turned, and I think this is really vinegary now under my nose. Vinegary is something you should easily be able to smell, right? Nothing, but you right? could taste it. I could taste it. The acidity, yep. I would guess. Yep, and I could feel the tingle of it." Wait, so how did you test recipes? It's a really good question. Did you rely on other people's palates? Yes, I always had I always had somebody else who would test for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put it together the way I thought it would work. Yeah. And then I would test it a couple of times and give it to other people. That's fast. So your experience really mixing things helped, you know, yes. took you most of the way there. And then you just had needed someone to confirm the fine totally. tuning. Totally. And I remember oh, when I goodness. really understood what was happening was when I was making a pot of curry. Right. Because it's like first oil, then chilies get chilies and cumin seeds get spluttered in that oil, then onions and garlic and ginger and masala. Like it's an intense amount of fragrance. Yeah. And when I'm usually doing it, you are happy to sort of bathe in the in the steamy intensity of all of that. Mm-hmm. And I watch myself face right in the pot. Nothing. Oh, what a panic. Right. I couldn't smell. I could feel it. That happened I could to me not once. Yeah. Smell any of it. Do you know what was, what area was pl- where the blockage was it, exactly? Entire sinuses, like all around both eyes. Because here's the interesting yeah. thing: I have had that experience okay. that you're talking about. Because you know, you get a cold, sure, and you get stuffy, of course. And a Russian imperial stout, you know, those bold beers oh, with yeah, the yeah, roasted yeah. notes and the strong alcohol and the cherry and uh, coffee, just so delightful. Um, and I could smell nothing. 
Uh, meanwhile, this is again, and I'm feeling you 100% on this yeah. shame uh, yeah. piece. Yeah. Because uh, last year I was judging at the Great American Beer Festival, right. and on the second day I got a cold, and I thought, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. What am I going to do? And I decided, you know what? I will sit in in the morning panel, and mm-hmm. if I find that I can't smell anything, I'm just going to recuse myself. Because, you know, unlike you in this situation, I am judging which beers are going to win medals. It's not fair. You know, I'm not going to blunder fair. through that. It's the truth. And shockingly, through this cold, my nose was running down my uh-huh. face. I could smell everything. Really? I was completely in tune with everyone at the table. I made it through the whole day. I judged the whole next day. Right. And I'm, I was blowing my nose every three wow. minutes. And people were, you know, surprised that I was blowing my nose mm-hmm. so often. But, I, you know, I didn't tell anyone I was sick because um, it wasn't affecting what I was doing. Right. But, I mean, our sense of smell in general, I think, uh, is not very understood. There's a, no, I'm reading a book right. right now, which you should read. Okay. It's called What the Nose Knows. Oh, that's... <laughs> It's fantastic. And it's about all the things that we assume about smell right. that are just not true. Um, because the oh sense God, of like smell what? is like so what? tricky. So, uh, for example, smoking. This is the first thing that came yeah. to mind when you talked about your topic. A lot of people think that heavy smokers can't taste or smell yep. as well yep. as people who don't smoke. That has not been proven. Right. All the studies are completely inconclusive, yep. which makes sense to me because one of the best beer judges I know is a chain smoker. Right, um, right. And definitely, if you have a cigarette within five, you know, 10, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. your taste is impacted. But beyond that, like, we have no proof. Right. Another thing right. I thought was fascinating, huh. this is a bit of a tangent, Yeah. but we all think that dogs can smell way better than we can. Yeah. Apparently, that, too, is not You're true. You're kidding me. They can smell some things that uh, we can't smell, like right. diseases uh, and things like that. Helpful. Um, but their ability to sort of hone in on smell and follow a, a trail, yeah, um, we have that ability too. We just don't train people to do it. So they've done studies where they've you know trained people more on one smell acceptable like, at the airport to have dogs well, yeah. than people <laughs> sniffing at your bags. But if you take the time to train a person, they could do it. <laughs> they could do it. Oh my it. god! There's an argument for a jobs program in there somewhere. <laughs> I love that. But in your case, it was just. Gone, and it now it's just back. gone. It's time for Curious Kitchen. Okay. And I've brought something for us to try. Oh, I'm really excited. Let me ask you this, Josh. Now, how yes. do you feel about eating bugs? Um, I'm not, I don't recoil, but I don't, I won't choose it. Okay. Uh, do you have any preferences in terms of oh, have, types of I bugs? Have, I have not. I have not forayed. I have not. You haven't delved in that far. Not far enough to prefer one over the other. All right. Well, my preference is mealworms. Okay. Uh, And I found these tasty snacks at uh, Loblaws, but brace yourself. Let's just talk about the fact that they're at Loblaws. I know. Right? That's that's hella mainstream. Except uh, I got them on massive sale at Loblaws because no one bought them. (laughs) But brace yourself. They're not just mealworms. I have barbecue. And I have cheddar cheese. <laughs> cheddar cheese. Which one worms? do you want to try first? I want to try. I want to try the cheddar cheese because the barbecue is going to be bossier. It might. Well, at least exactly. <laughs> we could hope. You're like, uh huh. I love that they made them into flavored that snacks. Is amazing. It's so ambitious, right? With with a beer. Yeah. 
right? That's yeah. the suggestion is that you can just. Is that what it says? No, 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 it doesn't. Probably I, great I just with like beer. that larva is the first ingredient. I actually did uh, a full wow. pairing, a full dinner of uh, crickets box. and beer. Yeah, and the crickets Fantastic. were prepared in various ways for the various courses. Right. We did it for Halloween one year. What? And fun. it was sold out. Okay, so cheddar great. cheese. Yeah, let's go for it. Oh my God. What a thing. Bugs. <laughs> now, are these bugs or are these like worms? They're, like, they're mealworms. They're yeah. worms. Okay. I think they're mealworms. It's the most common worm that's used to cook. Original worm snacks. S N A X. Just doing everything they, they get, get to make the bugs better, cool. right? Snacks, S-N-A-X. I'm all for it. I mean, it's a sustainable source of protein. That's and the thing. People get squeaked out or squeaked out. I but know. But it, I, don't, I don't know that you need to be. Uh, with mealworms, I actually, I find yeah. them to be a tasty snack. It's okay. the cheese that's throwing me off a little uh-huh. bit. Oh, it's like a cheesy. Yeah. It's like a skinny little cheesy. With Apologies protein. to anybody who can't not stand the sound of this crunching. Hmm. It's not as uh, offensive as I thought it would be. Not at all. Oh, there's the, the, the cheese. The cheddar cheese really is there, right? Mm-hmm. There's milk powder happening yeah. in there, so yeah. it's a real thing. What I like right. about the mealworms is they have a very delicate yeah. flavor. It's a, just almost a little bit nutty. It is. And you know, the way this, I like the way, mm-hmm. I like the way, mm-hmm. it just completely dissolves. Yeah. So I would imagine it like the garnish on a canapé. Ooh, yes. Right on top of something, on top of a deviled egg. Mm-hmm. Right? as a little crunchy je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Certainly uh, stirs up some conversation. Now, right? I mean, in all honesty, this is 1.9 grams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Like, you need, I need fistfuls of these things. Right. Right? Yes. Yeah, but baby steps. But ba- <laughs> <laughs> I think... Uh, they weren't able to sell this size container. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> so, you want to try the barbecue? Though. Yeah, I totally want to try the barbecue. What a thing. Yeah. I think I'm more compelled by the the dried up worm. Like it's actually quite They're enjoyable delicious. in yep. your mouth. They're very good. And you look like cause and this like I don't know if this is distinctive, this is specific to a mealworm, but it has these like little sections. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And the way they the way they feel in your mouth is actually quite pleasant. I'm it's I'm actually a, quite I'm a fan. Pleasant. Okay. A lot barbecue. of people eat crickets. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I got turned on to the mealworms. You know what? What I prefer for the mealworm over the cricket. What is the cricket has tons of little bits that get all stuck up in your teeth. In your teeth, right? Those the cricket, legs. What the extended yeah. release sort of scenario that happens yeah. there with the cricket, like the legs and the crunchy bits. Yeah. It all gets all stuck up in the teeth, whereas this is a little more sophisticated. They also have, to steal a Joshna term, a more bossy flavor than crickets. Whereas the yeah. mealworms have a very delicate, they do. delicate, nutty. I would say it's coming through, through the barbecue, yeah. which is not as Well, it's actually quite nice thought. that the first you, the first taste is the worm. Mm-hmm. And the second taste is whatever sort of funny powder they decided to put on it. Yeah. I feel like the barbecue is a fail. It, the I barbecue the was cheese. a bit of a nothing. Yeah. yeah. But I can see dill pickle, salt mm. and vinegar, sour cream and onion, <laughs> like, oh, clearly. We can start our own line. The taste of the worm is uh, a little bit nutty and toasted. Yes. I can say. Uh, and the texture is very cheesy-like. Yeah. In that, you know, the cheesy, the it, like, it just dissolves on your tongue. The crunch, yeah. Right? Same vibe. With Not you cheese, see that it's cheesies. The cheesy, like yes, that yeah. actual little the funny snack. Yeah. 
Um, because any moisture yeah. completely dissolves this thing in a way that's quite pleasant. Also, this is screaming for a beer. It yeah. is. Oh, my God. That's really the truth. Want a nice 100% golden lager or something with a slight toasty bugs. note. Oh. Ah. Mm, a nice Just amber feeding lager. each other, right? This maybe with a little bit more saltiness, mm. right? To, to have you chase into your yeah. glass a little more frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could spend some time at a bar with these. Absolutely. Nice one. Uh-huh. Nice one. I love that. Mealworms. What I wanted to talk about today is this new bill that's being examined, allowing us in Toronto to start um, consuming alcoholic beverages in restaurants as of 9 a.m. What a thing. On weekends, on just on Saturdays <laughs> and Sundays. Right. Uh, which would be moving it up from the 11 a.m. Right. Which right. it is now uh-huh. Monday to Sunday. And I just found out that Ontario has the latest time. So in Nunavut, I think at 10 a.m. is the oh. when they can start drinking. And in um, other areas, it's 8 a.m. or even all the way uh, at 6 a.m. Someone's got a 6 a.m. Yeah. And um, that makes sense to me because some people work the night shift. Yep. And if yep. you, at the end of a night shift, if you want to, you know, have a meal and, uh, you know, a nice pint of beer, sure. decompress before you, yeah. like, yeah, you can't go right back right to sleep after you've no, worked you worked all can't. night. No, it's the truth. Um, but here we're just inching, inching towards so what was the, a 9 what was the impetus? What, what spurned this on? Do you know? Yes. The impetus was actually the fact that, well, now we have uh, sales in grocery stores. Right. And in grocery stores, yes. they could only sell at 11. I had this crazy experience right. of seeing the stuff on the shelves, but not being able to pick it up and purchase it. So yes. I think that was making a lot of people very yes. cranky. Yes. And yes. so to address that, they moved uh, the Got sale it. in grocery stores to 9 a.m. in December. And so now the reasoning is, well, if people can just go buy it at 9 a.m. in the grocery uh, store, why, why can't they well just, be able to just consume it? it? That's how right. they managed yeah. this, what seems like it's a dramatic, huge know, step and shouldn't be. I don't know why. I don't understand what the concerns are. People were talking about, I mean, what do you think the concerns are? I I don't see the concern as anything else than a remnant of our weird prohibition. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Our weird attitudes. I have frequently been at brunch and ordered coffee and then said, as soon as it's 11, please bring the Caesars. Right. Of like, course. you wait. You're like, I'll have the latte and the pastry now, but then in 45 minutes, we're going to have Caesars or Mimosas or whatever it and is. And that's just right? an inconvenience. And everybody giggles and we know how we're going to play this game. But I'm like, what's the problem? Right? Seriously. The, this this crazy history of prohibition that we have that assumes that i don't know if you give people freedom they'll just lose their minds well the truth of the matter is in the streets yeah. in the morning when other i guess people are going to church or other lovely things that people will do on a weekend right so the concerns that have been cited are noise <laughs> right which is all those hilarious to drunks, me all those morning <laughs> drunks. Like, i don't think a, a 9 a.m mimosa is going to lead to to rowdy behavior no. Especially we'll if you see. imagine a hair of the dog scenario. It's just about restoring sanity, right? You're not going to go ripping through the streets. You're just going to be able to sort of open your eyes and take a breath. I feel like one coffee and one mimosa right? uh, equals less noise than four coffees. Right? <laughs> nice. Nice argument. That's what I'm going to say there. I like there. it a lot. Uh, there were some concerns about 
there was one person who raised concerns about gun violence, which I don't even understand. Oh, my God. Um, in Ontario? Yeah. It wasn't fleshed out in the article. I wish they had elaborated on <laughs> that. Because I, I was think just imagining the, the brunch. Cra- I don't yes. know. I don't know what that is. Um, Implausible and then correlations. drunk driving, which, again, it doesn't matter what... 24 hours a day is a potentially dangerous moment for drunk driving, right? Yeah, Yeah. I don't understand how the the shift in time is going to... And I I don't understand why it's only weekends. Why can't we just be 9 a.m.? It is interesting, though, because all this hysteria is based on, you know very real things you know when people talk about when we talk about prohibition now right we make fun of it and you know it was you know right a, a days a gone failed by experiment totally, and totally. you know all we think of is how tragic it was that no one could drink but we right. don't think back to the time before that when there were very real issues around alcohol consumption not being regulated uh, alcohol being cheap right um and everywhere you know in the uk they talk about the gin craze yep, and, yep. you know, people just um, who had been used to drinking beer suddenly having access to gin. The gin is cheaper. Now they're drinking and gin intense, all day, right. every day, the way they were drinking beer. And oh, there's God. all kinds of issues happening. There was, uh, you know, spousal abuse. I, like I won't even get really into sloppy. Uh, syphilis, people's oh, noses of falling off. Just the, in just, <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm reading a horrible book so really it's about like, prohibition. It's like the, pendulum, the pendulum swung too far in one direction, right? It and did. maybe the point is that left to our devices, we are not doing such an awesome job of managing ourselves. Uh, at the time right? when limit, it was new, yeah. right? That was like the teenage years of alcohol. I always like to look right. at things, you know, well, any broader, movement our, as a broader right. picture yeah. as there being teenage years. Like right now we're in the teenage years of craft beer. People are just discovering okay. it. Nice. They're going Stretching crazy, legs. you know, right. and right. everything's okay. getting wild and insane. And eventually it'll just normalize. Uh, I find any, you know, larger movement happens that way. Well, I like that. And, you know, when if you think back, people used to drink beer instead of water because they yeah. thought, uh, well, they knew water carried disease. Right. Um, and there so. There was trust and safety in the curious. Yeah. So, you know, beer. you're drinking beer all day, every day. All of a sudden gin is cheaper or booze yeah. is cheaper. You just start drinking that all day, every day. It's and um, then industrialization happened. And now you're working heavy machinery right. and you're like. That's really what changed accidentally. the game, right? You know, chopping your arm off or, you know, like uh, there were all kinds of issues that were happening back then uh, as a direct result of people not really being able to um, regulate their alcohol. But instead of addressing that and, you know, through moderate legislation like they did in the uh, in Europe here, they said, nope, certainly in the U.S., Yeah. No more drinking for anyone. Right. Zero. Yeah. In Canada, we were a little bit uh, yeah. less crazy about it. Um, some provinces did have prohibition mm-hmm. for almost 50 years and some hey, wasn't, basically isn't didn't. Some amazing story about the fact that the junction had yeah. prohibition like into the late 70s or something like that? That more or recently later, than like that. the 90s or something? Yes. Yeah. Right? I think so there was we a had... section of the junction that was that was dry. Yeah. The junction the, the northwest end of Toronto. Yes. Right. So There's this, that little that little community there, right? The lots of train traffic through there. I know that, Hence which is now full of bars. <laughs> but ironically, that little neighborhood on that on that stretch is uh, full of. But like well into the '90s, that was a dry community. Absolutely, absolutely. The way that prohibition happened in Canada is that each area and then eventually each province could vote whether to go dry or not. Oh my God, that's so and, interesting. And um, you know, and then they voted to repeal. 
and they had that one little area for the like, longest no, time thank you. remained no dry. Thanks. And uh, yeah, they overturned it, and now it's it's a really lively area. It's There's a at least two breweries yeah. there, and some wonderful bars and much, restaurants. I wonder how much noise disturbance. And not surprisingly, oh right, no. happens in that neighborhood at nine. At, you know what's nine a.m. in the morning. And not surprisingly, when it was dry, it was dead. Right, <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> right. That's amazing. Um, our relationship with booze is a curious one, right? Like our human relationship with booze is very curious. Uh, it's kind of weird. to that point, the rest of the world seems to be on top of this already. Yep. Right? Because I remember being in Rome mm-hmm. chasing what everyone said was the best espresso. Yes. Right? This Cafe Sant'Eustachio had this. <laughs> and they have this like piece of metal so you can't see how they pull the shots. Right. Secrets, secrets, secrets. Ooh. Right? So everyone on their way to work. It was 8 o'clock in the morning. Everyone's all dressed up the way Romans are. Uh, on their way to work, and they saddle up, take down that espresso in three sips, and off they go, right? But then my pals and I noticed that there were shot glasses also being cleared away quickly in the sort of the conveyor of things. Right. And we sort of did some investigations and discovered that it was espresso shots and uh, Zambuca. Oh. No, no, not Zambuca. Um, Grappa? Grappa, thank you. Grappa, and that there was a way to do it. Interesting. Right? So Mm -hmm. we, we did the intel and we figured out that you take a sip of the espresso so it coats your mouth. Mm-hmm. Then in, then not even thinking. You shoot the grappa and no, in the vacuum of that. So you don't have that, to taste it. Precisely. In the vacuum of that, you take down the rest of the espresso. So it's like wow. a little grappa sandwich with espresso mm-hmm. bread, if you will. Amazing. Right? And honestly, my friends and I did it. And the best way I can describe the experience was like when you're playing a video game and you roll over the magic mushroom and you get that like... Ring. Augmented, boo, 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 yeah. right? Uh, and I looked around and realized that everybody around me was playing the same game. And I was like, oh, this is the fuel yeah. that is getting everybody to work this morning. Yeah, and no one's, you know, lining them up. Right, and no do, one's do it, right? There's no Just one disorderliness and off you in go. the street. Everyone's walking to work. But was there gun violence? The- <laughs> I have yeah. this vivid memory of uh, I was... A student activist. There it is. I, I have some activism in I my love, youth. I feel Joshua. it. <laughs> You're not the I only activist it. in the room. And um, you know, we had gotten very up very early, and we had uh, we had been out picketing, and uh, we sauntered into a bar, and it was you know nine a.m. Uh, or eight a.m. I think actually, and there were just a bunch of people there drinking beer. Right. They're a large format. Yeah. La right. um, yeah, and good. it was just really civilized. And, uh, you know, I was so surprised to see this because, of course, you know, we had the 11 a.m. Yeah. Uh, cutoff in Ontario. And, they, you know, they I talked to the gentleman and they it, sure enough had been working nights and this is their right, way to unwind. And it just really opened my eyes to the fact that a lot of our regulations are really based on this assumption that everyone's schedule is the same. Well, I, so much of my work, I see this. It's just like nonsensical things just get thrown up, hoping that something will stick. Yeah. When you're like, you just are really not excited about things changing. Follow Hot Plate on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. You can follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you to Joshna for joining us today. Our audio engineer is Brad Tigwell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. I'm thirsty.